The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 91 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm Sean Rapier. I'm your host, and thank you so much for joining us again this week. I hope you had a wonderful Mother's Day weekend. I know I sure did. Uh, This week on the show, my guest, Connie Atkinson, is so inspiring, so much fun. She's a, a life coach and a podcast host, and you will absolutely love this conversation. And this week in my Latter-day life, I'll tell you about a woman who is very, very important to me, who comes from my village. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And sitting here today in the Latter-day Live studio, it is such a pleasure to have, I'm just going to say, a ray of sunshine already. I've barely gotten to know you, Connie. thank you. But you're just so fun already. Connie Atkinson. And read the name when you look it up. It's Atkinson. Hey, I can tell you how you'll never forget it again. Bring it up. Our first answering machine message my husband put on there. Connie and David are Atkinson. Call back later. (laughs) You'll never forget it now. At Kissin, and it is. It's A T K I S S O N. We're at Kissin. <laughs> I like that. So Connie Atkinson is my guest. Connie is a podcast host. She is a life coach and just a very inspirational person. We're going to talk about all of it. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I don't feel like there's anything left to say anymore. Well, that's our episode then. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. You've given me such a great intro. You no, made me sound this is so awesome. Great. I can't wait to get to know you. So I started following you on Instagram. You post lots of cool little inspirational stuff. And that led me to reach out, and I'm just super excited to hear about it. I have so many questions about your life coaching and podcasting, but first, let's get to know you. Where are you from, Connie? I am the I am one of five kids. My parents are awesome. My dad was an Air Force major, and we grew up moving all the time. Was he classic Air Force? Like, did he run the home like a? Like a military operation? Absolutely not. My dad is not a pilot. My dad is an optical physicist. Oh, wow. What does an optical physicist do? He, I believe, I mean, he couldn't tell us what he did in the Air Force or he would have had to kill us, you know, but um, (laughs) maybe that would have worked out better for him. (laughs) But he, um, he did laser stuff. He worked with the equipment and bettering the equipment for the pilots, but he was never in the air. Wow. Remarkably smart man. Yes, he is. I mean, true scientist. Yes. My parents are both. They both They're have They're both Dr. Anderson. Yes. Wow. That is impressive. That's cool. So you grew up moving a lot, Absolutely. which classic military family every Absolutely. few years. Yeah, about every four years. Do, what, what, what do you consider home? Is Utah home? So now Utah that you live here? is more home than anything. So I came to BYU here, and then after I'd been here a few years, going to school, my parents retired and moved out here. My dad got a job for BYU, where mm. he worked for the chemistry department, and my mom, with free tuition, took advantage of it, and that's when she got her PhD. Awesome! Very very cool. So Utah is home. 
Where else did you live growing up? What What are your memories? Of- so we never left the United States. We did um, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. My dad taught physics at the at the Air Force Academy. So we had lots of cadets at our house. So much fun. We went to um, Cocoa Beach, Florida. That was pretty oh, fun. Oh, that must have been cool. How old were you when you lived in Cocoa Beach? Elementary school. Yeah. And then we went to Virginia, which is where I graduated from high school. Was it hard moving so often? Like, just, I can imagine. I mean, I grew up in one place my whole life. Did uh, you really? I, I was can't 18. even imagine. Yeah, until I was 18 years old. I lived in the same place. I can't imagine, like, as you're like 13 or 12 or whatever, you're just getting your life set. Hey, boom. Or was it just baked in the cake? You knew that was what was going to happen. That's the only life I knew. Every four years, I had the opportunity to go make new friends and to go to a new place. And my parents were really good. I mean, we had an Air Force salary. So my parents did the best out of, they did the most with what we had. Yeah. I love, I can already hear it. And you're a very positive person. That's a lot of what you focus on. And that's what some of what we're going to talk about. But you could have just said it was really hard. I had to leave friends. But what you said was every four years, I had the opportunity to make new friends. To make new friends and were, find new adventures. You know, we had to make our own fun. Were you always this positive? Were oh, you this positive no. as a kid? No. Heavens no. I can't imagine that now knowing you a little bit. I like to say I'm a recovering screamer. I took a love and logic class as a young mom because I was trying to figure things out. Parenting so, with love and logic. Yes. Vanessa and I went through that. Yes. We love it. It sounds like the perfect plan, right? Right. But I kind of took a different twist on it. So one thing I'd like to say about my family of origin is my parents taught me to always learn, to always improve myself and awesome. to always figure it out right? If, if we wanted something, if we wanted new clothes, my mom would take us shopping. We'd go figure, we'd go find the perfect outfit, but we wouldn't buy it. We would go to the fabric store and we would buy a pattern and we would come home and we would make it. Now I'm telling you, as a mom, I completely get it now that my mother would have been doing herself a favor to just buy it. It would have been cheaper. <laughs> it would have been a lot better for her mental health, right? But that's not what we did. She came home and she would unpick. My mother can unpick like a boss. And we learned a lesson. We learned how to do it ourselves. That is awesome. So as a young mom, when I wanted to learn how to be a parent, a new parent, I figured I knew I had to figure it out, right? So I took a love and logic class. So... One of the things that they teach is, you know, if you tell your kids, hey, sweetheart, can you please pick that up off the floor? And you count to three, then you've taught your kids not to pick it up until you get to three, right? Sure. So my kids would, um, I would teach my kids when I was yelling at them to pick it up off the floor, get it up now. I told them, you just taught me that yelling gets me what I want. Now, (laughs) that is not really what love and logic really is getting at. But I knew there was a better way. And I went to life coaching to figure out a better way to do it. Awesome. Awesome. So you, how much of your experience growing up do you employ in your own life, like with your children? Oh, every day. Yeah. My parents taught me to, to learn new things. They taught me that if there was a skill that I wanted, that I needed to get out there and figure out how to do it. So 
as a young mom, I wanted, I kind of wanted a side gig because you clean the house and everything just gets messed up again, right? I wanted mm. something that stayed done at the end of the day. Yeah. So for my mental health, I took up quilting. Oh, so really? I didn't mention, I have five girls. I grew up in a family of four girls and a little brother. You have five daughters. And I have five daughters. Wow. So you can see that I needed a little piece of sanity <laughs> in my life, right? <laughs> yeah, I have three. <laughs> and I can't imagine four. And you have five. I have five. That's crazy. And no boys. No boys. Just, that is a lot. And for your husband. Oh, he's amazing. Yes, he is. I'll just tell you now, I don't know him, but yes, he is. So, you love him already. So let's get to that. Let's. So you, you graduate from high school in Virginia. Came to BYU. Came to BYU. What were you planning to study at BYU? I think I wanted, I originally went in thinking I was going to do elementary education. And my dad said, if you're going to, you can always get a job as a math teacher. So if you're going to do education, get a degree in math. So that's what I did. Oh my gosh. I cannot imagine. That is my worst nightmare. I got I'm to... afraid that if I die and I didn't do well on earth, that that's my eternity is learning math. <laughs> do you naturally gravitate? I mean, you're, both your parents are brilliant My parents scientists, are very so, smart. So did math come naturally to you? Yes. Wow. But I got to my last semester when I student taught and I realized I would rather do just about anything than teach math. Mm. I absolutely hated it. <laughs> but yet here I am in my last semester. And I was pregnant at that point, having my first baby, and I was done. So it just was what it was. I got yeah. my degree. And you have it. And it's awesome. I did it. I set a goal and I got it. That's great. How did you meet your husband? At BYU. Classic story. No, it is not the classic story. Let's hear it. So we were in the same... Uh, BYU family home evening group, right? It sounds pretty classic. That's, okay, that sounds with. classic. Yeah. No, no, no. He, um, so we met after his mission and before mine and dated. In fact, we even took a trip to New Mexico where my family was living at the time and he asked my dad if he could marry me. My dad said yes. We came back to BYU and he broke up with me. Wait, what? After I know. He asked your dad? I know. Who does that, right? Okay, this is not at all a classic story. <laughs> no. This is not at all. Maybe you're not loving my so husband as much as you thought you were. Yes. Uh, was that, that must have been devastating. It was devastating. You're on your way to get married. Yeah. Did, is this what led to going on a mission? We were getting, we had the date and everything, May 5th. Oh my gosh. Cinco de Mayo wedding. Yeah. May 5th came and went. There was no wedding. So is this what led to you going on a mission? So we were still um, in the same family home evening group. We lived across the street from each other. We could see in each other's living room windows. And I really believed that if it were going to happen, if he were the right guy, it would have happened. And I just thought, I am going to move on with my life. And I did. Now, we could see in each other's living room windows. I dated a lot. And that was my goal, to just date as much as I possibly could. Now, and I did. Yeah, a lot of dating. <laughs> yeah. Did you make sure to like walk all of your dates right in front of his house? No, like... I, I didn't need to. He was watching. Yeah. And anything he couldn't <laughs> tell from, anything he couldn't figure out for himself, he would ask my roommate, and she had a big mouth and would tell him anything. Oh, that's funny. Now, funny little twist to this story was, my, I had an old boyfriend from freshman year who came home from a mission, 
And I got out of the house without telling my roommate where I was. And I went to Montana to see him for his homecoming. Oh, my gosh. And David didn't figure it out until after I had already left. So when I got home... Hurried things up a little bit. (laughs) You're going to see old boyfriends in Montana. When I got home, he was surprisingly attentive again. (laughs) So tell us about how you ended up on a mission then. So I had started my mission papers when David and I got back together. It was what I was always supposed to do. Yeah. And things work out in God's timing. And sometimes we think we have a plan, but if but if we'll just relax and let life happen, mm. God does it so much better. Gosh, isn't that the truth? You spent half your life, I think, figuring out how to do life and the other half realizing you don't do it at all. Right. You just do what God wants you to do. Yeah. Where did you serve your mission? Antofagasta, Chile. Antofagasta, Chile. See, we didn't know this. Connie and I don't know each other. I served in Osorno. Did you yes. really? So you were at the very top of Chile. I was at the very bottom. That is so fun. We're not going to change this to Spanish, are we? Because no, my Spanish not. is gone. <laughs> my Spanish is so bad. It was bad then. So did you love Antofagasta? You're up in like the desert. And it is heat. the driest. The Atacama Desert is the driest desert in the world. The Sahara is the largest and the Atacama is the driest. Yeah. yeah, you're up in the Atacama. I was in the wettest. I was in Valdivia, which rains 300 days a year. So you were chilling with the penguins, right? I was down in the penguins, yeah. Five months so with the fun. penguins. So did you love your mission? or I loved my mission. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. You, so you serve a full mission, you get home, you get back together with David at some point. How'd that all happen? So before I left on my mission, David says to me, so we dated up until I left on my mission. And he said to me when I, got, when I left, well, if I'm not married when you get home, and I don't think I will be, we'll see what happens. Because... When people hear that I dated my husband before their, my mission, their first reaction is, oh, that's so cute. He waited for you. No, 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 no. Quite the opposite. <laughs> he was out doing exactly what he should have been doing. He was dating everyone. And it's perfect. Yeah. Because he made an educated decision. By the time I got home, he, he knew what he wanted. Another little fun fact, one thing while I was, well, one time while I was gone, he was studying, he's an electrical engineer grad from BYU. And he was studying in the fishbowl one day with, um, with a friend. And he's like, Oh my gosh, I'm late for my mission reunion. I need to leave. David said to him, well, where'd you go? And he said, Oh, I served in Chile, Antofagasta. David was like, my girlfriend is there. Can I go with you? There's probably free food, right? He went to my mission reunion <laughs> to ask about me while, you're while still out. I was still out. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. He is a crazy kind of guy. When you got home, was it, did you know that, okay, now we're getting married? Or did you start dating again? So we didn't even write for about the first half of my mission. Wow. And then I think that was about the time he showed up at my mission reunion and realized there may be some other interests there. And if he wanted to date me when I got home, he better, you know, yeah, he better shape up. So do you think he was walking around the reunion telling everybody, that's my girlfriend? So I the have other never asked weren't? him that question. You should ask. We should have invited him today. Yeah, we should get all, all, all the background info from him. So, um, but did you, did you want to date them when you got home or was it, this is it, I'm ready for David? David. 
I really loved him. Yeah. I really did. I just didn't want to let myself believe that. Mm. And, and I couldn't. Looking back, it's kind of, again, the story of let God guide your life. Mm. When I left, it was better for me to believe that if it was going to happen, it would have happened. And I just needed to move on. Mm. And that's how I went out on my mission, just giving it to God and saying, yeah. I know that this is going to work out. It's going to work out in in your way and yeah. to just let him guide my life. Honestly, so I'm really excited. My next podcast episode is going to be something titled like a mission, the best university for life. You're right. Yeah. My mission changed my life. Now, I kind of like to make the analogy like when you go to college, you study for you you have a very diverse education right and you study all these topics that you never use again after graduation mm. now a mission is so different when you're on your mission you learn lessons that you use every day for the rest of your life i can't think of one thing that i learned on my mission that i don't use every day except maybe the spanish yeah i really should have kept that up better what was i thinking uh, you you know what uh, i would just say, because I, I go to Mexico a lot, if you spent two or three days somewhere speaking a lot, it would come back to you. I can I still tell that. when people are uh, talking about me in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, really funny story. We were on a, on a family vacation in Mexico, and we were getting wet, uh, fitted for wetsuits. And I said to the guy, that wasn't nice. And he said, well, what did, the, what did the guy say about you? And I said, he was fitting me for a wetsuit. And he said, she has a very small chest. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know, I got that. <laughs> was he shocked? Was he shocked? I can imagine his face. He must have been just shocked, like, whoops. He really didn't mean it that way. He was no, really just trying to get know, the right but, size. But, but for me to call him out on it, he was oh, quite that's shocked. that's funny. So you guys get married, you start having girls. And every single time, I absolutely knew that I was pregnant with a boy. Really? You thought, boy is coming. Did you have boys' names picked out and everything? Oh, absolutely. Every time. And every time. Because Sorry, I Connie. grew up in a family of girls. My only brother is the youngest, and I swear I prayed him to this earth. So <laughs> I spent my life kind of adopting big brothers, and I had some great friends. Yeah. Great adopted oh, big brothers funny. in my life. So one thing I really thought my girls needed was a big brother. So I'm like, I want girls. I know girls. I love girls. But I've got to have a boy first. Again, God showed me his plan is better than mine. Yeah. I have five absolutely gorgeous and beautiful daughters. What's the age range on your daughters? So my oldest is 23. I'm yeah. a grandma. Did you know that? I have that three so grandchildren. Great. Oh, awesome. And guess what? Two of them are boys. So you finally do get your boys. I do. You've got your and boys. And grandsons have got to probably be so much better than That's having awesome. them myself. I <laughs> love them. And then how old's your youngest? The span is... So my oldest is 24, and she has three three kids, all under the age of three. Wow. And my second is 22. She just got home from serving a mission in Charlotte, North Carolina. Awesome. My third is serving a mission in Tonga, Nuku'alofa. Mm. Wow. Yeah, imagine the look on her face when she opened that call. Yeah. And then I have two in high school, a sophomore and a freshman. So fun. What a fun time in life. Life is never dull at my house. So you're super busy raising five daughters, which is 
crazy. I know how it is raising multiple children. And then at some point, life coaching comes into your life. How did that happen? I realized that I needed it. It was for me more than for anybody else. Did you did you have a life coach? Like, did you go to life coaching first? Or what was the genesis of all this? I did. So you have to remember that I was raised in a family where you kind of, we DIY'd everything, right? My dad built our first computer from scraps. He, you know, my mom <laughs> taught us how to sew. Yeah. And so I started DIYing it, right? I would look for podcasts. I would look for anything I could. Now, I did mention earlier that I'm a recovering screamer, right? Yeah. You've got recovering drug addicts on here. I'm your yeah. recovering screamer, John. Did that come, I mean, naturally was so the, yelling? The problem was initially when you're doing it, you feel like you're getting what you want, right? Because mm. your kids are afraid of you. They're like, oh my gosh, how do I get mom to shut up? I'm going to pick that up. I'm going to make my bed, whatever it is. But what you, what you don't realize in the moment is how damaging it is to your relationship. So your short-term goal may be to get the room clean, but your long-term goal is to have a great relationship with your kids, mm. a lasting relationship with mutual respect and love. Yeah. And as I look to the Savior as an example of a parent, he is the parent that I want to be. And mm. as I look to his example, I realized that my actions were not what he did. The way I treated my kids was not the way he treats me. And as I realized that I wanted to be more like the Savior, I looked for help to start being that person. So the first thing I did was recognize that there was a problem. The yeah. second thing I did was to go out and kind of DIY my own help. And I got as far as I could on my own. And then I hired a coach. And I up-leveled my life so much faster by working with a coach that I realized I need these skills in my life, not only for myself, but it is life-changing as a parent to realize, to teach your kids these tools. These life coaching tools are as important in your life, if not more important, than knowing how to do math and knowing how to read. Mm. Ooh, I went back to math again. I know how much you love math, Sean. No, I'm, I'm impressed with your love <laughs> of math. It's awesome. So how did you find a coach? Um, good friend. Instagram. I realized from social media that she was doing it, and I called her and asked for help. And she's amazing. Now, at the time, the thing that I wanted help on, I had a faith-shattering, it could have been faith-shattering um, experience in my life. And I knew that I didn't want it to shatter my faith. Now, I don't want to go into details of what happened. Sure. It's, too, it's too close to... But I realized at that moment... I have an opportunity to be all in or to be all out. And my brain could have justified either one of those. I think a lot of people hit that spot mm -hmm. and are not prepared for it. You know, where something's so challenging and it could go either way. It totally could go either way. Hmm. So one of the, I kind of like to tell you a little bit about life coaching and how it works. Well, uh, my next okay. question was going to be, I, I have no idea. I've never had a life coach. I'm just, what does life coach do? What is it? Okay. The real change in your life comes from your thoughts, your thoughts about what's going on. Now, one example that I love to use is my husband. Most of us are married, right? If you don't, if you're not married, you have some sort of relationship in your life. Now, 
I am a super smart lady, and my brain can find evidence to support anything that I'm thinking. So if I think the thought, my husband is crazy annoying, guess what? My brain can find evidence to support that all day long. (laughs) There are things that I can choose to believe are annoying. Now, when I believe that he's annoying, I feel irritated. I look for evidence to support that all day long. I notice all of the irritating things that he does all day long. And the funny thing is, every single time, your thought becomes your reality. And you don't realize that, but every time your thought becomes your reality. So the funny thing is, when my thought is that he's annoying, I'm irritated and I'm acting to him with irritation. And the funny thing that happens is I'm the one that's annoying. I'm irritating by treating him so poorly, (laughs) right? And when you realize that, it almost is laughable, but it's embarrassing too. You're like, what? All, all this time, I thought he was so annoying, never realized it was actually me that was the problem. Mm. So you can change everything about your relationship. I changed everything about my relationship. You have to find a thought that you truly believe. Now, if I tried to believe my husband is perfect, now, I'm not going to believe that. Nobody is perfect. We're all imperfect beings failing our way to success here in life. And I changed everything about my relationship with my husband by merely changing my thought. And that's where the power of life coaching really comes in is nobody around you needs to change anything. If you will change your life, nobody around you needs to change. And you go from being the victim of your life to being the hero. Let me show you how this works. If I can truly believe a thought, I have the perfect husband for me. He's perfect for me. Hmm. I married exactly who I needed to. Then I feel unconditional love for him. I feel gratitude. So that thought creates the feeling of unconditional love and gratitude, which drives the actions of me noticing all of the things that he does that are exactly what my family needs, that are exactly what I need. Hmm. And in the end, he is exactly that, the perfect husband for me. So did your life coach counsel you into this, give you a toolkit? Was that, is that kind of how it works? Like phone calls in person? How did that happen for you to get to this point? So life, it's beautiful what you're sharing. It's fascinating. How did you get to that? So life coaching can be done in person. It can be done over the phone. Often, I Most often I do it over Zoom calls. So you can see each other and it's, and it's very convenient. You don't have 30 minutes to drive there. You just have 30 seconds to get on your computer and pull it up. And it's so powerful that in just a few, I mean, you can take 45 minutes. I mean, a typical life coaching session is 45 minutes, but you can do power coaching in quick moments if you need to, too. For example, I will tell you how I life coached my daughter the other day. Yeah, please. So, so often, you know, our kids call us and we've got 30 seconds to pull the magic answer out of our pocket or they think we're a complete idiot, right? And my daughter called me the other day. She says, Mom, I am 15 minutes late for a job interview. Okay, what's your first reaction when your kid calls you? I'm 15 minutes late for a job interview. Be honest, Sean. My first reaction is, of course you are. 
That's actually my first thought is, of course you are. You're 15 minutes late to everything. Why wouldn't you be? Is this supposed to be surprising? That's my first reaction. Right. And a lot of parents would think that's really the only way you can mess up a job interview, right? Is yeah. to be 15 minutes late. But you have, she she was minutes away from arriving. And the only thing worse than being 15 minutes late is walking in feeling like a loser, right? Yeah, sure. If you walk in feeling like a loser and your thought is, I am a complete loser, guess what? It. Yeah. That is going to become your reality. You're going to walk in there. You're going to not feel confident. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to make mm. excuses for yourself. And you are going to portray yourself as an absolute loser. I said to her, Kara, it's a circumstance. You are 15 minutes late, and there's nothing you can do about that right now. The only thing you can do to change this situation is to change your thought about it. And I said, how do you want to feel walking into this interview. She said, I want to feel confident. And I said, great. What thought are you going to be thinking that's going to drive that feeling of confidence? Mm. And she said, I create more value than I consume. That. Your daughter said that? Off the top of her head. What? That is a power thought. Now, Sean, if you walk into an interview Honestly believing the thought, I create more value than you than I consume, and you're confident, of course you're going to get that job. Yes. And I said, how are you going to act when you honestly believe that and you feel confident? She said, Mom, I've researched this company. I know exactly how I can create value for this company. I know exactly mm. how I can market them and how they can increase their sales. And I'm going to tell them exactly how that is. And... What's and, your question? And did she get the job? Yeah, that's everybody's question, right? First off, let me tell you, she was not 15 minutes late. She was 20 minutes late. Yeah. She walked in there feeling confident. Not only did she leave with the job offer, but she left with the, with the wage that she needed mm. and the number of hours that she wanted. She named her price, she named her wage, and she was 20 minutes late. Wow. See, and I, oh, that's incredible. I am such a man fixer. Right. That I go to tactical. That's my, I think it's a problem. I would have said, here's what you do. Right. And that is the biggest parenting fail, Sean. Yeah, it's it what is. we all, it's our natural instinct, right? We want to tell our kids what to do. Well, That's, I've, I've hired many people over the course of my career. So my first thought is get off the phone with me, call them, call ahead, tell them you're going to be late. When you get there, here's how to quickly apologize and here's how to get past it and then kick it. Like, I would have been so tactical, but I don't think I would have prepared my child for the rest of it, for the success. See, true change comes in your thought line. Mm. Okay, that's where the change happens. You've got, she had two choices here, right? I am a complete loser. The only way to mess up an interview is to be late. Okay, that was an option to her. And the other option to her that was her intentional model was, I create more value than I consume, and I'm 15 minutes late. Incredible. How long did you take life coaching before you became a life coach? Not very long. Yeah. I knew right away, this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. Right away, I could immediately see. I mentioned earlier that I had a faith-shattering, it could have potentially been a faith-shattering experience. And... I went into this life coaching session feeling like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know, meaning 
this, meaning the church, right? Right. And I walked out of that with the intentional thought, I have unshakable faith and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm. And I was able to separate the doctrine of the church from the culture of the church, which to me was key in staying in. Which is a big issue right now. I mean, we I, I see people leave all the time because of something over cultural, cultural issues, issues, and that's still a choice, right? I mean, how we feel about it is one thing when it hits us, but it is still a choice. But I also think thoughts being, I mean, thoughts being the seeds of action. That's just gospel. So right. what you're talking about is taking gospel principles and applying them to life. Absolutely. And what you mentioned early earlier about it's our parenting instinct that we want to tell our kids what to do, right? That, like that, that we feel like that's our calling, right? We're supposed to teach them and guide them. But really the true change comes in your thought line. So we're working with kind of a, you know, an LDS based listening group here, right? Yeah, so for sure. So can we throw this at the scriptures for a second? Yeah. It's so fascinating to me to look at the scriptures and see how this life coaching model fits into church. Yeah. Okay. So let's take a classic story for a, for a second. We've got Laman and Lemuel, Nephi and Sam, who are headed back to Jerusalem to get the brass plates, right? Yep. yep. So I would call this their circumstance. They're getting the blood. They're headed to Jerusalem for the brass plates, right? So let's look at Laman and Lemuel for a second. What do you think their thought was heading back into Jerusalem? Their thought is, this is impossible. Yeah. Right? So their feeling right off the bat is defeat. Okay? So they go in there and they half-heartedly try. It doesn't work. And they're headed back. Right? They're done. So their thought, which was, this is impossible, actually became their reality. They were right. It, Yeah. It was true for them. For them, it was was impossible. Okay. So same scenario. And, and this is so interesting. It's the same exact scenario. For them, it's impossible because their thought is, this is impossible. Okay, what about Nephi? He says, I will go and do the thing the Lord mm. commands. I know the Lord. I know. I'm, I'm going from the song here, not from the scripture, yeah. right? I know the Lord provides, <laughs> provides a way. He yeah. wants me to obey. <laughs> well, that's why we have the song. Primary songs. They're powerful. That's why we have it. That's awesome. Okay. So here's Nephi and his thought is, the Lord asked me to do this. It is absolutely possible. Mm. And I'm not stopping until I've done it. Wow. And he did. Right. And I kind of like to notice about this story that he kind of failed his way to success, right? Yeah, for sure. He didn't, it's not, it wasn't easy. He went in there, he tried a couple things, not all of them worked, right? But he did not stop until he accomplished that goal. Wow, that's interesting. His thought is, the Lord is going to help me. His feeling is confidence. It is absolute drive. I will not stop until this is done. And he goes out there and he, his actions that he took is, I like to think that he failed his way to success and his result, yeah, he got those plates. And, And that kicks off everything. The entire Book of Mormon story pivots on that moment. Right. Because talk about faith shattering. What if Nephi hadn't pushed forward and gone back? Right. What if Nephi just said, eh, this isn't going to work. This right. isn't going to happen. 
So the fascinating thing about this story is the circumstance for all these people is the same. The only thing that's different is their thought about the circumstance. And does that thought then, I mean, that has to play into the faith that God has this plan. Yeah. That God is powerful enough. My, my favorite scripture in my favorite part of all of the Book of Mormon is when Alma and Amulek are in prison. Mm-hmm. because it's absolute chaos that's going on. People are being thrown into fires alive. Everybody's being killed, and they're locked up. And Amulek says, you know, they may kill us too. Alma says, well, they may, but our work isn't done, so they're not They're not going to kill us. I've never thought of it in the terms of how just positive Alma was. Alma says to Amulek, no, nah, they're not going to kill us today. And then the prison falls apart, they walk out, and right. it's amazing. And they were preserved. It's a fascinating way mm. to study the scriptures yeah. with this life coaching model. And then where does mind. where does this positive mindset, how does that match up with humility and a recognition of God? Where does, where does that, how does that all work together? So I get this positive thinking, I start thinking in a very positive way that I'm going to learn these lessons. How do I apply that then in my prayers and in my faith? You, I every day pray for God to guide me, to show me what to do. Mm. I know that these, these life coaching tools are powerful. There are lots of people using them, but I want to do something unique, right? I want to take this framework of life coaching and apply it within the LDS faith to give people the opportunity to choose faith, to choose Mm. to believe. And what I do with this life coaching model is every day I pray, Heavenly Father, guide me, help me to know how I'm supposed to apply these tools today. That's awesome. And one goal on my Instagram is to just pray and visualize what people need to hear. And I use the framework of of life coaching, the life coaching model, and the framework of the LDS church, and I combine the two to help people, to help to offer intentional thoughts that will help people up-level their life. Thoughts like, I know that Heavenly Father loves all his children. That means he loves this teenager of mine too. And if he can love her right now just the way she is, I can too. And I'm telling you, if I'm focusing on all the reasons why that darling little stinker is lovable, everything about our relationship is different. Interesting. Same thing with my husband. It applies to everything. It can apply to that person who has to call and tell you everything that's wrong with you. It can apply to Mm. your sweet spouse. It can apply to your children, to your mother, to your sisters, to your mother-in-law. Did your children and your husband notice the difference? In you, like, or did you have to point it out to them? Hey, I've changed. I can't tell you the story without crying, Sean. But most of most of this life coaching school happened while my daughter Kara was on her mission in North Carolina, and when she came home, so of course her little sister had physically changed the most. But within earshot of me, somebody asked her, "Kara, who changed the most while while you were gone?" She said, "Well." 
Physically, it was my little sister, Emily. But I'm telling you, the biggest change is in my mom. Wow. And she could tell there was a huge difference in the way I treated my children with the respect and love that I showed them. Mm. And she did notice. So how did all this come together in a podcast? Because you host a podcast. Tell us the name of your podcast. I do host a podcast. It is called Happiness, and then there's a dash, an inside job. And the reason I chose that title is because all of the change happens within you. You don't need anyone around you to change anything. Mm. And everything about your life changes. I love that because I feel like I fall into the trap of I'll be happy when. Yes. You and everyone I'm else, preparing, Sean, I'm preparing for my happiness. That makes you human. Yes. I will be happy as soon as this teenager grows up and can, can be respectful, right? Mm. Yeah. that's. I live in that too often. I live in I'll be happy when. And so happiness and inside job, I've listened a little bit, is very much about being happy now. And keeping it real. Yeah, you share a lot of your own experiences. Life on it, is which not is awesome. about being perfect. Life is about progress. Yeah. What's the response been to the podcast? Oh, it's been phenomenal. You got great reviews. Thank you. Yeah. Thank I, you. I you left me one, right? Yeah, not yet. I will though. Today. I'm committing right now. <laughs> I absolutely will leave you a positive review. Reviews are important for people to be able to find the podcast. They are. But what has your experience been? What's the response been? So like anything else, it's kind of like preparing a talk in church. I'm sure that I am the one who has benefited the most from this, from preparing all of these. But it has been life-changing for so many people as they have learned to become, I mean, my audience is mostly LDS women, but of course men listen to it and benefit from it too. I've I've got a football player that's a faithful listener. I'm a listener now. I'm I am a Latter-day Saint male. Sweet. And I'm a listener now. So. Well, there's lessons for everybody. Yeah. I mean, men also are parenting their children, and it's such a common fail to want to go in and tell our kids what to do. But really, what we need to do, real change in parenting children comes as we help them focus on their thoughts and yeah. understand where their thoughts are taking them. That's where the change happens. We're running up against time here in a minute, but uh, I wanted to ask this because I, I think you are almost on the other side of the little kid parenting. I see, I always see mothers, especially mothers and fathers though, too, especially in sacrament meeting. I remember when we had a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a a one-year-old all at the same time, whatever the, the stress of just making it through an hour of sacrament meeting. And then how are we going to survive Sunday? And then how are we going to survive Monday? Mothers have a very daunting task. You now are in a good place in your life where you've got this positive mindset, you've got the gospel, you've got, you know, you're close to having raised that part of your children, you're into a grand grandmother phase. If you could share one message to that mother saying, I just don't know, I'm, I'm trying to hang on for the, for, like, I'm trying to hang on till nap time. If I can live until nap time, I'm going to, and you remember that phase, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. It's like it hard. Was yesterday. You're holding on by fingernails. What would you share with our audience? Because that's a, a lot of our audience is young mothers. What yes. would you share? What would you share with those young mothers? That is a great question. And I would say it's all in your thought process. Focus on your thought. Are you focusing on how difficult it is to listen to a kid cry? 
or is your thought, I am so blessed to have this baby in my life. And when you focus on the blessings of being a mom and on the blessings, there's so many people that want to be parents and can't be parents. And when you can focus on the blessing of being a mom, one of my favorite intentional thoughts is bring it on. There is nothing I can't handle. (laughs) And when you honestly believe that, bring it on. I can handle anything. Then it's almost a game. You're like, oh, barf? I can do that. Oh, you're going to throw poop on the carpet on top of that? (laughs) Bring it on. There is nothing this mama can't handle. Oh, that's so funny. And when you honestly believe that, I promise you, your brain will find evidence to support that it's true. This has been just so fun. And what I love is what you're sharing, I think, could really help somebody in if they were not a spiritual person, I think that mindset could really help. Oh, it helps but everybody. then when you take that and add in the gospel, like the way you just said, I'm so blessed to be a mother versus I'm lucky to be a mother, the blessing acknowledges that you were put here to do this, that Heavenly Father put you here to do this. And when you take the gospel and understanding God's plan and then mix that with the positive mindset and the thoughts and knowing that he has it all... You've kind of put this together in a way that I just hadn't thought about it, and I just like love if you it. were a guy, you could think of it as you've got a power tool in each hand, right? <laughs> you are doubly armed. Yeah, I wouldn't know what to do with a power tool. That's <laughs> I'm going to figure that out. But see, that's a negative thought I already had. <laughs> I have the ability to learn to use a power tool. Oh, look I'm at this! You're a professional I'm already, telling you, Sean. Connie. You've discovered your calling in life. You're yeah. going to be a life coach too. <laughs> so the po- the podcast is happiness dash an inside, inside job. If people want to learn more about you, how do they follow you on Instagram? Connie Coaching. Connie Coaching. And also I have a website. It's same thing, happiness-andinsidejob.com. And on the website, there are videos that go into one of my favorite things you should go to my website and look for is the parable of the judgmental jerk. There is the a parable really... of the judgmental jerk. Oh, yes. Jerk. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm not giving away the punchline. You're That's just going to awesome. have to go on there and see it. Well, this has been so... Uh, affirming, especially day after Mother's Day is when this is releasing, and we're all focused on mothering and the importance of that. And I think that so much of what you're teaching has application there, but also for fathers and for for single people, for everyone. everyone. I mean, I think this is wonderful. Well, this has been a great conversation. I'm so glad we connected. We're going to wrap up today with the question we ask all of our guests. I'm excited to hear this. And that is, Connie, what does being a member of the church mean to you? So I, one of my favorite movies is Night and Day. And in that movie, the uh, Tom Cruise says to the girl, your life expectancy with me, and he puts his hand up high, without me, down low, with me, up high, <laughs> without me, down low. And I would say the quality of my life with the church, hand up high, without it, down low, with it, without it, with it, without it. Mm. And I am so grateful for the power tool that the gospel offers me to rely on. I loved the imagery of working as if everything depends on me and praying as if everything depends on God. And the biggest power tool, the biggest difference between this church and other churches is that we've got the power tool of the Holy Ghost. Mm. Personal revelation is available to us always. And every time we seek it out, Heavenly Father will guide us. 
he's my power tool. That's awesome. I love it. She is, first and foremost, she's a mother that just sparkles when Five talking girls. about her. Five daughters. Bring it on. This is fun. <laughs> you have to have that mindset. She is a mother. She is a wife and a daughter, and she is a life coach and a podcast host, and she is just making the world a better place. Connie Atkinson, thank you for sharing your latter-day life with us. Thank you, We Sean. appreciate it. My thanks to Connie Atkinson. Wasn't she fun? Her attitude is just so wonderful, and she really did get me thinking about a lot of things that we discussed and uh, my own personal point of view on things, my attitude. So I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I wish you could see her face when she's talking. It just lights up. She has such a zest for life. Just fantastic. This week in my Latter-day life, you know, of course, I'm thinking about Mother's Day. And we had a great Mother's Day weekend. Got to spend some quality time with my mom. We took her out to lunch on Saturday and a great day with my wife. We had all seven of our children here which is, this was the first time actually since Christmas that we've had that. And then we got to go over and see my mother-in-law as well. And it was just a great weekend. Uh, One of the highlights this week was in church on Sunday, two great members of our ward spoke. Uh, My friend Dean, uh, I served with him in a Sunday school presidency. He gave a fantastic talk. But first there was a talk uh, by a friend of ours named Jill Jill hit it out of the park, and I asked her if I could actually mention her talk on the podcast. She gave the most beautiful talk, and she talked about motherhood in a way that I don't know I've ever heard heard it quite put this way. She comes at it from the point of being a, a single mom, and she talked about how difficult her divorce was, and then, you know, raising three amazing children. And I've gotten to work with her sons a bit. She just has a fantastic family. By the way, her parents are in our ward as well and are two of the people I just admire most in our ward. Such a fantastic family. But Jill gave this incredible talk where she talked about the importance of being a mom, the importance of her own mom, and then her mom and dad. And she referred to how it takes a village and what her village was and all the important people around her that support her and help her as a mother. And it got me thinking after church today about some of the amazing women that I've had in my life, grandparents, friends, aunts, so many incredible women that have shaped my life. And I kind of wanted to talk about one of them because it's really funny. I grew up in San Jose, California, as has been mentioned on this podcast, and we moved in when I was about two years old. We moved there from Seattle. And right next door to us was a woman named Anne, and Anne was a single woman. And uh, we became very good friends with Anne. And I used to go over to Anne's house starting when I was very little. Literally starting when I was three years old, I would just go visit Anne. And she was one of my favorite people. And when I was five years old and when I was seven years old, I would just go next door and I would visit Anne. And Anne was so sweet to me. And I don't know what she thought that here this little kid would come over just to visit. And I'd go to my mom and I'd say, hey, I'm going to go visit Anne. And I think I kind of thought Anne and I were peers. I think we thought we were just friends. Anne was a chain smoker. She smoked in her house. She smoked all the time. And she had a great, even though she had no children, she wasn't married, she had a great collection of books for children. 
And I would go over there and she would serve me milk and cookies. We'd have Nilla wafers. And she had this amazing collection of beer steins, the most beautiful steins. And there was one that was big and gray and ceramic. It felt like granite. And oh, I thought that was so cool. And so I would always ask her if I could have my milk in this beer stein. (laughs) And she would serve it to me. And I would sit with this stein that was half the size that I was. And I would drink milk and I would eat Nilla wafers and I'd sit on her couch and she would sit there smoking a cigarette and she would read the newspaper while I would eat Nilla wafers and I'd read my, my children's books. <laughs> and Anne was so loving and so wonderful to me. And even as I got older, when I turned 12, I started mowing her lawn. She paid me to mow her lawn. And when I turned 16, she was, she was a school teacher and she was taking a class to Europe. And she came over and invited me and I got to go. And so I went with her and that group to Europe. And she even came to church uh, when I gave my mission farewell. I truly love Anne. She was a big part of my life growing up. I have to wonder what she thought about this little kid that kept coming by and, and saying hi and hanging out with her. But I did that my entire life on a very regular basis. Even as a teenager, if I saw her out in front, 16, 17, 18 years old, I would always stop and visit with my friend Anne. A few years ago, as a Christmas present, I bought my sisters a trip to San Jose, back to San Jose, with me. And the three of us flew out, and we spent a few days visiting. And we were able to get a hold of Anne beforehand, and we told her we wanted to stop by and see her. And she still lived in that exact same place house. And walking in brought up the best memories for me. And as we sat and talked, I was able to tell Anne, who's now quite a bit older, how important she was to me and just how grateful I was for all the times that she didn't turn away a little kid who just wanted to hang out and read a book and have some Nilla wafers, or that we'd sit on her back porch during the summertime And again, drink some milk out of the big beer stein while she had a few cigarettes. And we just talked about life. She was part of my village. And of course, I had my mom and my dad and my whole family there. But I know how important Anne was to me. She was a dear friend. And as we wrapped up that visit, and she seemed so thrilled that my sisters and I took that time, I said, Anne, you know what I will never forget? I will never forget that huge gray beer stein (laughs) that every time I came over and wanted a glass of milk, you served me milk in that beer stein. And Anne laughed and laughed. And she said, every time I see that beer stein, I think of you. And she said, hang tight for a second. And she went into the other room and she came back with that big gray beer stein. And she said, Sean, I want you to have this. Please take it. And I said, Anne, I can't take this. And she said, no, this is truly yours. It always makes me think of you. And now sitting in my bedroom, I have a big beer stein. (laughs) And you know what I really should do tonight? I should fill it up with milk and have some Nilla wafers. Because I think about Anne, I think about all the incredible women in the village that it does take to raise a child. I have a wonderful mom who did a great job raising me, but she raised me with the support of a lot of people around me. I'm so grateful for Jill talking about all the incredible women who support mothers as they raise children, as is their sacred duty to do. I'm grateful for all of you who go out of your way to be a mom, to support a mom, to help a mom, (laughs) 
It's the greatest calling there is. God bless you all, and I hope you had a wonderful Mother's Day, and that's what's happening this week in my latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in. It means the world to us. If you want to follow us on social media, we can be found on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Just search for Latter-day Lives. If you want to reach out to me, it's Sean at Latter-day Lives. Dot com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. If you get a chance to share this podcast with someone who would appreciate it, gosh, that just helps us out so much. We love our growing audience. And what means the most to us is if you get a chance to leave us a review on Facebook or on uh, Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, it just helps other people to find us. We truly appreciate you, the listening audience. So until next week, when we got another episode for you. Please remember, as always, there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 